This is internationally best-selling indie author, Michael Brent Collings, inviting you to join me at bestsellerlife.com DCR to unlock my tips, tricks, and hacks for a successful writing career. So go to bestsellerlife.com DCR and kickstart your writing adventure today. Hey, Dungeon Crawler, thanks for tuning in to our episode this week. But guess what? Did you know there's even more that you could be listening to? If you head over to our Patreon, you can get access to behind-the-scenes content, hearing more of the discussion before and after the show, and even comments in the middle that didn't make it into the final cut. Thank you so much for your support, and keep being great. This is Daniel. And this is Krebs. This is Alton. And I am Matai. And you're listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio, the greatest geek podcast out there. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, where we have another amazing interview uh, with the fantastic author, Garth Nix. And he, we'll be talking about his newest book, which is Sir Hereward and Mr. Fitz, which mm-hmm. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, so thank you for you know taking time out of your day, some of the pre-show craziness that went on, and, you know, because... It is in the future. Uh, you know, it is tomorrow that we're talking to you. Why we're t- here today? But uh, thanks for we're coming on the show. Just a little behind. It's okay. Yeah, we are <laughs> just a little. I, I always expect some technical difficulties. Not only am I in the future in Australia, I, I am in Australia on the other side of the world. So uh, it's fantastic we can talk at all. Um, technically, it is Sir Harrowood. Um, Harrowood. is yes. Harrowood. Sir Harrowood and Mister Fitz. Uh, Harrowood is a very old Anglo-Saxon name, and in fact, there was a kind of Saxon folk hero called Harrowood who resisted William the Conqueror and uh, led a rebellion in the in the marshes. Um, so it's an old name and uh, one that I've always liked, which is why I I took it for my Sir Harrowood. So Sir Harrowood and Mister Fitz um, coming out soon, August. Uh, we know it's been discussing this twenty second in the yes. US, I think. Yeah. Yes. So no, thank you. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you when you see those interesting names or words, you're like, uh, I'm not sure what oh, it yeah. is. So I'm I'm glad you corrected that, and and that's actually a well, fans, na- fascinating name. Yeah, I mean the names that I make up, uh, like Sabriel. Um, I always say people can say it however they like. Sabriel, Sabriel, however you hear it in your head, that's fine. But I guess this one actually does have an historical uh, precedent, so we. Probably should try and say it as it. Mind you, someone will probably someone will probably come on and say that actually in the ancient Anglo-Saxon it was pronounced (laughs) entirely differently. But uh, mostly, uh, Harrowood is, I think, correct. As we all know, nerds would never do such a thing like that as to jump on (laughs) and correct someone else. Actually, I know several nerds. Never never mind. (laughs) As do I. I'm just waiting for the emails. So now the the Sir Harrowwood book that's coming out on the twenty second is this the first in this series or is this a continuation of a series that you know that that you previously published? Yeah, no, this is. I mean, this is actually a collection of stories uh, of nine stories. All of them have all eight of them have been published previously in various anthologies, um, including uh, a bunch of anthologies edited by uh, George R. R. Martin and Gunnar Desois. The Book of Swords, Rogues, and so on. Um, and and George kindly gave me a great quote for the book, uh, which was very nice of him, which 
was a little bit late for the American cover, but it's on the British and the uh, Australian covers. Uh, but it's it's there on you know various booksellers, to, which is a great thing. Um, so they've all been published uh, before, except for one new night story. It has one new story, but the stories have never been collected all together. Uh, there was a three story collection years ago in a, in a limited edition hardcover from Subterranean Press, but this is the first time they've all been brought together. Um, so uh, I think hopefully that's attractive to the fans of the stories plus. Plus a new one, um, and the first one was two thousand and five, I think. So this does bring uh, quite a few years of writing about these these two uh, together. Absolutely love it. So, what was kind of the impetus for this whole thing to start? And even probably more importantly than that, how have you kept the steam going up to now wrap it up with what I assume is a thrilling final compilation? Well, I'm going to keep writing. It's going to be more. Um, so nine yeah. is just the be- nine is just the beginning. Um, yeah, the very first story, Sir Harrowed and Mister Fitz go to war again. Uh, you know, introduces the duo. Sir Harrowed is uh, the only child to a society of witches who the only male child to a society of witches who always have women children. So he's kind of like a unwanted offshoot uh, for them. But he's been conscripted into the family business, which is uh, basically getting rid of unwanted inimical goblets. So the world is a very Baroque sort of 17th century. It's not a sword and sorcery world because there's firearms. Mm-hmm. So it's like a gunpowder and sorcery world. And so mm-hmm. Herbert is one of the agents of the Council for the Safety of the... He's one of the agents of the Council of the Treaty for the Safety of the World, uh, going around securing uh, the world from inimical goblets and transdimensional entities. And Mr. Fitz is a sorceress puppet uh, who's much, you know, has lived for thousands of years um, and is his companion and actually was his nanny when he was a child. Um, so they were, in a way, he's kind of like a parent to him. Um, so Mr. Fitz appears to be uh, an entertainer. But all these self-willed puppets, which are around in this world, that uh, they're all nearly all entertainers. And so people think, oh, innocuous, charming puppet that you know plays instruments and sings beautifully. Uh, but Mr. Fitz is not one of those puppets. Uh, he is a stone-cold killer uh, of inimical godlets mostly, but also anybody else who happens to you know, get in the way of them doing their job. Uh, so that's that's the basic setup. And it comes out of a love of sword and sorcery. Uh, you know, it's very much uh, an homage to Fritz Lieber and Fafarden the Grey Mouser, but also going back to Cervantes, to Don Quixote and... Uh, and Sancho Panza, that that whole sort of tradition. Well, don't don't take me seriously, like ever, and especially not this question. But uh, are you, sir, familiar with the series Red Dwarf? Absolutely, absolutely. So is Mister ah, yes. is Mister Fritz uh, any relation to Mister Flibble, uh, Arnie Rimmer's uh, <laughs> psychopathic penguin puppet? Um, no, but that's a that's an interesting an interesting comparison. Um, I wonder. I mean, subconsciously, perhaps, depending when that when that episode aired. <laughs> I mean, I wonder which which one came first. I I don't know, but um, uh, I think I mean the puppet thing. I think came about because uh, my mother was a puppet maker, paper maker mainly, mm-hmm. but used to make a lot of puppets for us as children. So I made a lot of puppets, um, and uh, I think it's very much ingrained in my upbringing and the idea of uh, 
Uh, now, puppets are kind of creepy often anyway, and a self-willed sorcerer's puppet, I think, is just a great thing. Um, so that's that's where it came from. But yeah, I am a fan of Red Dwarf. I will have to go and have <laughs> a look at that now. Maybe it's subconsciously. <laughs> the episode is quite yeah. in there. Uh, it was quarantine, okay. yeah. yeah. And uh, you know what? But, what year was it? Do you know? Oh, you gosh, can see what year it was. Now. It was. It was in the middle. Uh-huh. It was because the okay. the uh, film quality had gotten better and people were wearing more colorful uh, costumes. So it Bruh. wasn't the first couple of seasons, and it wasn't the last few seasons. It's before they got back yeah, on Red so Dwarf again. It's it's it probably ninety two. No, so it's way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah March twelfth of so, ninety two yeah. is when it released. So it's probably part of the subconscious fuel for uh, <laughs> now for those stories, as so it's, many things are. Speaking of sorceress evil puppets, that just calls to mind the uh, the clown marionette from the Poltergeist movie. Oh my gosh! Uh, Why'd you which, have to bring that one up? Which Krebs and I remember from the nightmares of our youth. And uh, so, yes, our sister's dolls were never allowed to look at us while we slept because of that movie. Well, I think that's that's actually a, a good precaution in general. Um, <laughs> I mean, I should say, Mister Mister Fitz is not an evil puppet; he's just a very dangerous puppet, and he is a very uh, singularly focused puppet um, who has a job to do and and uh, is intent on doing it. Um, so the collateral damage can be quite extreme, but he doesn't set out to to do evil things. He just he has a very important job, and he makes sure that. He does it, and Sir Harrowood does it as well. So the important question there is, would you allow Mr. Fitz to watch over you while you slept? Um, he would, I mean, he's a, he would be a fantastic guardian. Um, probably, yes, I probably would, unless I was connected in some way to you know, a cult of an inimical god, uh, <laughs> because then he'd kill me in my sleep before dispatching the god. Um, so, but it, but if I was a pure innocent, I, you'd be perfectly safe. Uh, well, you'd be perfectly safe unless uh, something happened which required a very large explosion, which you were in the vicinity of. Um, but he wouldn't do it unless it was absolutely necessary. All right, dungeon crawlers. So there's a little safety notice. Please do not get involved with any cults to inimical gods. Okay. All yeah. right. Yes. Carry on. Don't try that at home. <laughs> that's that's not a good idea. So, I mean, we, we were talking a lot about Mr. Mr. Fitz here for a second. Um, and I am kind of curious about some of his uh, strengths and his limitations. Um, but I'm also curious about, uh, and I, I'm probably I'm probably still saying this wrong. I will do my best, but Harrowward, is that right? Yeah, Harrowward, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Harrowward. So what is, what is, what is Harrowward's strengths and weaknesses and how are they complemented or supplemented by those of Mr. Fitz? Well, Sir Harrowood is um, is a, a knight. He's an artillerist. So he's very good with gunpowder. Um, he's very useful uh, to Mr. Fitz. I mean, Mr. Fitz in his basic, everyone thinks he's an entertaining puppet. Um, uh, you know, traveling with Sir Harrowood is, is useful to him. I mean, sometimes just on a on a, a sheer sort of physical level, uh, Mr. Fitz is only about three and a half feet high with his hat on. Um, <laughs> so in one of the stories, you know, where they're pursuing uh, an an inimical godlet, which has actually defeated uh, one of the witches, and is and they've sort of fused together, and the witch is still trying to conquer the godlet from within inside it um, through the snow. 
uh, you know, Fitz goes on Sarah's shoulders simply because he could, he, he's very strong. Puppet could push his way through the snow, but, uh, you know, it's much better to ride on Sir Herod's shoulders. Um, I guess in terms of uh, some social interactions, um, Sir Herod can be the, the front man, he's charming. Um, so Sir Herod, Sir Herod, in a way, is he's, uh, he's also in some fighting, uh, you know, where Mr. Fitz has to concentrate on using one of his sorcerer's needles uh, because he uses sorcerer's needles to unstitch the world um, and, and manipulate reality. Uh, he needs to be protected. So Sir Herod and his pistols and his sword and uh, his carbine and sometimes a cannon or uh, whatever, uh, you know, very necessary, just in sheer physical terms, uh, you know, that physical combat that, that sometimes has to take place where Mr. Fitz is dealing with the gods. So Sir Herod often has to deal with the mundane enemies uh, while Mr. Fitz deals with the, uh, the extra-dimensional entity. Um, so they complement each other in those ways. Um, Sahara, one of Sahara's kind of uh, flaws is that he doesn't he doesn't really want to keep doing this god slaying stuff. Uh, he'd like to settle down. Uh, he's an ill-starred lover. Um, you know, he he wants to meet the right woman and settle down with her, but unfortunately, complications always ensue. Um, sometimes inquiring him to uh, even kill uh, the woman that he wants to settle down with, which kind of you know, puts an end to that one. Um, so yeah. he's. I mean, you'd hope so. He, he had, well, <laughs> there's quite a few stories where that might not, in fact, be the end of it all. Oh. Um, so he has a he has a yearning for something else, um, but he uh, also accepts that you know, this is what he was born and brought up to do, even though he's the wrong gender. Um, so and and he has you know he's been sort of cast out by his family. Uh, but they still use him, so he has quite a he's quite conflicted in lots of ways with his familial relations because you know, they still want him to do the, this job, uh, like I said, kind of the family business, but they won't accept him as a true equal. Um, so he hardly ever returns to uh, to his to his home, and it's not really his home. And his real parent is a sorcerer's puppet, um, not his mother. Um, so yeah, it's a complicated it's a complicated life. Hmm. <laughs> Now, it's, it's fascinating as you're talking uh, about these characters, right? Because they seem to be very deep and nuanced. There's clearly a lot of backstory, but this is an anthology of short stories, right? So how, what are some of the maybe limitations or advantages that you found in writing these stories in this format in communicating some of these neat ideas and some of these backgrounds? Yeah, I mean, you do get certain limitations in short fiction, Um I guess, I mean, it, it has said to me once that uh, all of my short fiction kind of feels like it's part of something else. Um, even though they're, they're self-contained and they're satisfactory in themselves, um, they still always feel like they're connected to a bigger whole. And that's something that I like myself um, and what I often try to say to do. So the story has to stand alone. It has to satisfy. But I also am very fond of making it feel like there's a whole lot more, which could be told uh, in other stories or as part of a part of a bigger narrative. So I, I suppose that's kind of my stock and trade for not just these stories, but almost everything I do. I mean, I've written a lot of short fiction. There's quite a lot of it. You know, there's quite a lot of stories on Tor.com, for example. You can you can read for free online uh, in lots of other anthologies and, and so on. 
Um, I just had a story in uh, Asimov's last month, a uh, science fiction story. Um, again, it's, self, it's, I mean, it's, it's a kind of like a science fiction Western, that story. Um, it's self-contained, but it feels like there could be more. Um, and, and certainly uh, I was reading the proofs and I thought, oh, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I already know the next story. If I, I may not write it, but I, I kind of know the gist of it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that, that I aim for, I guess. Um, and I suppose actually you know, collecting stories together like this, there is some repetition of setup involved in, in every story, which you, know, you wouldn't do if it was a novel. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't um, uh, you know, set up some of the stuff again you know, each time in the story. I don't always do it, but there is, a, you know, there is some of that just from the nature of the stories. And when you read them all in a collection, um, yeah, if you read it from beginning to end all in one go, uh, you might think, oh, there's a bit too much set up in each of these stories. Uh, so mm-hmm. possibly it's best just to dip in and out, uh, you know, uh, rather than trying to do the whole lot in one go because it's not designed to be that big gulp of story like a novel. Well, and, and to be very clear, lest I accidentally cast any doubt in the minds of the listeners right now, okay. Garth, Mr. Nix. Call me Garth. Thank you, Garth. You've been writing for 32 years now, right? Like, And you've dropped Tor, which is a huge publisher, especially yes. in sci-fi. You talked about getting works published in Asimov, right? This is not your first time writing. This is not your first time writing something of this magnitude. And we've certainly seen other short stories and anthologies that have captured the minds and hearts of people all across the world. I hate to draw a direct allusion to, uh, um, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but it's true. Sherlock Holmes was not really an established, huge, thick book character. It was through these beautiful glimpses and vignettes that, that we got to know of much more deep and nuanced character. So across those 32 years of writing, what are some of the things that you found were very natural as you were starting to tell these stories? And what are some of the new muscles that you've flexed along the way? Well, I've actually been writing for a lot longer than that. Um, just my first book was published in 1992, 1991. Uh, my first short story was published when I was 19 in 1982. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I wrote quite a number of short stories after that, which failed to be published. Uh, mm-hmm. I had that initial kind of like, oh, wow, I've sold a story. I'll just write a whole bunch and it'll be plain sailing. It didn't happen like that. Um, but it, of course, it's always good practice. You know, the more the more you write, um, and yes, you know, lots of lots of many books that published all around the world. Um, so I, I've been doing this a long time. Um, it's hard to know. Yeah, it's hard to know what I've learned. I, I hope that I've got better in in all respects uh, in my in my writing. Um, I guess some of the things that I'm kind of known for. Uh, is the world building people often refer to, um, but that seems to be kind of a natural thing for me. And I think that started even earlier because very appropriately for a, for for this dun- you know dungeon crawler, um, you know my first paid writing was writing for role playing game magazines, uh, so writing scenarios, writing articles uh, for White Dwarf in the UK, Multiverse, and Breakout here. Um, Try to sell some stuff to Dragon back in the day, which uh, they did not buy. Um, I almost sold them something once, actually, but uh, didn't quite happen in the end. 
Um, so that that you know that was the beginning. My writing career began in my teens, uh, paid writing career uh, in in role playing. Well, now th- this takes us. I realize I'm going to rabbit hole a little bit here, but this takes yes, us you in are. a whole new direction, and that's perfectly fine by me. Which is to say, you know, you you mentioned you love Red Dwarf, and now you said that you did some writing for tabletop RPGs, and now I'm super curious. Are you a little bit of a gamer too? Yes, I mean that's fantastic. Obviously, I guess I'm I'm quite a lot of a gamer. I'm not I'm not as much of a, a role player as I as I was. Just lack of opportunity and mm. time. Um, though I have I did actually I've run a very international game a couple of times this year, um, which in sort of role, esoteric and role playing terms because uh, it's set in the world of my book Angel Mage, which is kind of three musketeers with angelic magic, but using oh. essentially the rules from a game called Flashing Blades from the 1980s. I don't know if any of you guys know that. You know, mm. fantastic. A Three Musketeers role-playing game uh, from Fantasy Games Unlimited. Uh, so I think it came out in 982 or something. Long forgotten, but you can still get the PDFs on DriveThruRPG. Um, so that's been it's been fun to, to do that. And other than that, I kind of guest play in people's games every now and again, uh, usually D&D or sometimes... Uh, Sometimes a science fiction game or you know something like that using GURPS, and I play computer games. Um, and uh, I also developed one one game, big a massively multiplayer Facebook game when Facebook was very young, uh, oh. which which worked, but we ran out of money. And unfortunately, it was two thousand and eight, and GFC we couldn't get any more. So it was which was great to do, but we we never. We could never implement uh, what we wanted to. We had 30,000 people playing it on Facebook uh, at the time, uh, a game called Imperial Galaxy. That's respectable. Uh, which was, yeah, well, it was, if we could have kept going, it would have been great, but uh, uh, which was based on the world of my book, uh, A Confusion of Princes. So, you know, it all kind of connects back to the books one way or another. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And, and I think I doubt that I would be the writer I am if it wasn't for role-playing games and you know i ran a dnd campaign from you know age 11 to 18 uh which was you know rich at the beginning was the original dnd you know the white box the three little booklets and then advanced in you know advanced dungeons and dragons when ADD came along three or four years later uh and i i was the the dm and i think that training was invaluable for a writer well, that makes for a perfect transition to be able to let people know. Dungeon Crawlers, thank you so much for being here today. And if you want to support us even more, here's a quick word from somebody who may be able to provide some additional tools to help you, whether you are writing or creating your own games. Uh, check this out, and we'll see you on the other side. Hey, DCR fans. Do you ever dream of quitting your job to become a successful writer? This is internationally best-selling indie author and friend of Dungeon Crawlers Radio, Michael Brent Collings, inviting you to join me at bestsellerlife.com DCR to unlock my tips, tricks, and hacks for a successful writing career. A portion of every sale at bestsellerlife.com DCR goes to support Dungeon Crawlers Radio. And even better, another portion goes to charity. So go to bestsellerlife.com DCR and kickstart your writing adventure today. 
Hey, Dungeon Crawlers, thank you so much for taking a moment to listen to that. And even if that isn't a product or service that you can take advantage of right now, even just taking the time to share, like, join us on Patreon, all of those things are always grateful. But now we've got to get back to Mr. Garth Nix. And I believe that Matt has something very important to ask. We just got back from a sponsorship break, and I was thinking of something else that I'd purchased recently. Uh, I just paid $200 for a belt. $200 Two hundred dollars for yeah. a belt? It was a huge waste. It was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh and boy! You know what else? Uh, oh, the, I, I, uh, I might buckle under this next one. I'm not sure. <laughs> but but wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> there's more. There's more. So, you know, I want you to think about six thirty. 6.30 is a really magical time. And in my opinion, it is the best time on the clock, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew. Uh, Matthew. Uh, well, Garth, it's I'm been just, wonderful. I'm, We've... I'm, just, I'm just putting these up here to, to share with, with my boys. Because <laughs> uh, my, my dad joke reservoir has been running low and it's a couple of good ones there. <laughs> oh, Definitely in dad uh, joke territory. This is a I great place to restock. <laughs> yes, Matthew should send you much more. The foreign exchange joke program. This is going to be great. <laughs> there you are. Uh, but, but getting back to the topic, actually, Garth, you had talked about how role-playing actually made you a better writer. And what stru- struck with me is we had an episode a little while back where we talked about de- how we develop our campaigns where we get our ideas from. And um, there's a lot of parallels and a lot of the same uh, mental muscles that get exercised in designing a campaign built because you're building a world and you've got all the details and you've got to be concerned about all these characters. What are they, what do you anticipate they'll be doing as you set up this scenario Um, with RPGs? you're allowing the players to write part of the story while you provide the skeleton uh, of it. And then in your, in your writing, I imagine that you're kind of doing a similar thing where you set up the idea, the story, but you're actually fleshing it out and filling the things in and the characters do what you want them to, which has never happened in a game that I have GM'd. Uh, I was, I was was just going to say that uh, of course in role-playing games, you, you set everything up and design everything. And then the players do it about turn and go completely the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's ne- it's it's never wasted. Um, I mean, it's interesting because in my in my fiction, um, even though I am known for my my world building, I'm not one of the fantasy writers who develops the whole world and then writes the story. I discover the world as I'm writing the story, oh. so I build it up by degrees, and of course. Uh, if you're writing a series like my Old Kingdom books, begin with Sabriel, um, and there's six of those now over a long period of time, more than 20 years, um, you know, I, le- I learn more about the world with, with each new book. But um, I don't sit down beforehand and work it all out, which a lot of fantasy writers do. Um, and, and of course, many of them work out far more than you, than you ever need, which is kind of the, the role-playing game. Uh, equivalent, you know, that, that's that's what you do in role playing games. You mm-hmm. you work out so much stuff, and then the players use one tiny little bit of it, and then they go off the map, and you you have to work it out on the fly. Uh, but I guess that literally. was also a good experience, you know. Yeah, I, I was I was working it out on the fly with my players, um, but also 
trying, you know, working with them to create a good story that we're all part of. Uh, and then I guess I learned to do that, uh, you know, for the stories without the players, uh, which is a lot easier <laughs> in many ways. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so it was good experience in in creating stories and in, in creating the world, all of that. That's that's very interesting. As an exploratory writer, as you describe it, have you ever had any of your characters go off in an unexpected direction, not unlike RPG players might do? Yeah, I mean, I'm very story focused, so um, you know, I, I always want the characters to do what I need for the story. So, in a sense, they never do anything that isn't needed for the story. But certainly, I you know I've reached points in the story where uh, it's what I've been thinking is not what's going to happen, and sometimes that's very much related to the characters. Where I've thought, okay, this is what I want to have happen, but it it really isn't something that the characters would would do. Um, so I can't use it because uh, one thing through all everything I write is I'm always very focused on wanting it to feel real. I want there to be a bedrock of reality, no matter how fantastical or science fictional or whatever. Uh, you know those elements that come in. I want the story when you're reading it to feel like this could really be happening. Um, so that means the characters have to fit into that as well. Uh, you, you, and of course, if you're halfway through a book and your characters have grown in a particular way, um, and you know what what they're like and how they how they react. Um, and you know, I, I thought, okay, well, I want the story to do this, and it's like, well, that's not going to work anymore because these characters would not do that. So I'm not going to shoehorn them in. I have to change. The, I have to change the story. Um, so yeah, I guess that sort of sense of reality and uh, is is always a, a guiding force for me. I mean, so my question, yeah, really boils down to where do you find your inspiration for these stories whether it's the long form novels or your your short stories is it just random things that just pop into your mind is it certain certain circumstances that you're involved in you're like oh that'd be a great idea for a story where where does that inspiration come from i mean it, it comes from all of the above basically okay. i mean it comes from everywhere um so uh you know i get inspiration from Things that I've seen, things that I've read about, uh, things I hear about, um, and books that I read, both nonfiction and fiction, uh, a lot from history, history, natural history, um, but also just random stuff. Um, uh, my recent, well, I've had my earlier book out this year, The Sinister Booksellers of Bath, which is a follow up to the Left Handed Booksellers of London. The Left Handed Booksellers of London came about because. Uh, I was in the UK. I was uh, on tour for my book Golden Hand, which is one of my Old Kingdom books. And I was in the Leith, which is the port part of Edinburgh. And I was signing Golden Hand in a Waterstones bookshop in Gold Sharpie. Let me tell you, don't don't sign books in Gold Sharpie because they <laughs> run out after like they run out after like fifty books. So publicist was always trying to buy more Gold Sharpies everywhere we went. We had to go to stationery shops. Um, it looks good, but it's not very practical. And and the bookseller who was helping me open the open these copies of Golden Hand, um, I noticed he was left-handed, and I probably was left-handed, but I wasn't allowed to be because I'm an of an age where we were forced to write with our right hands in school. I can still write yeah. my left hand. My eldest son's left-handed, so I, I said to him, just noticing he was left-handed, I'm interested in left-handedness. I said, "Ah, oh, you're left-handed," thinking I will have a conversation about being left-handed, and he said, "Yes, I am. We all are." Everyone in the bookshop 
all the staff, they're all left-handed. There's like Whoa. six of them, six left-handed booksellers. Oh, and really I said, cool. oh, wow. So you're the left-handed booksellers of Leith. And he said, yeah, <laughs> I guess we are. And I said, well, there's a story in that. I'm going to write it. Um, and that stuck in my mind, but I needed a kind of bigger canvas. So I changed Leith to London, which I also knew much better. Um, so I had the title, The Left-Handed Booksellers of London, uh, but I knew nothing else. Um, so, I, you know, where do I go? That's where that book came from. It came really from a chance conversation and a title. Um, and then I had to figure out, you know, all the rest of it. Oh, I love that. Nice. I love it. Left-handed just runs in my family too. I, just a personal question. Do you brush your teeth with your left hand? Uh, sometimes. Yeah, my daughter's left-handed too. And I asked her that same question. She gave the same answer. And I, I'll, I'll share with you the advice that I gave her. It'll work a lot better if you use a toothbrush instead. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you not to take me seriously. (laughs) So I did want to ask the question, branching kind of off of Princess Bride, right? Obviously, you are very well read. What are some of the books that have helped you grow and that have inspired you along the way? What's the stuff that you can't keep your nose out of? Well, there's so many. I mean, I I love reading. I've always loved reading. I've always read very widely. Uh, I think I'm very influenced by dozens, if not hundreds of writers. Uh, in different books, um, I mentioned with with Sarah and Mr. Fitz, uh, there's certainly to some degree an homage to Fritz Fritz Leiber and Fafard and the Grey Mouser, mm-hmm. uh, but also to you know Robert E. Howard and Conan, Il Sprung de Camp, uh, you know the, the Sword and Sorcery, uh, you know writing heroes bygone days. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Ursula Le Guin, Rosemary Sutcliffe, Susan Cooper. Um, Tolkien, uh, who also I think was a huge influence on me, even though I don't write obviously Lord of the Rings type fantasy. Um, C.S. Lewis, Lord Alexander, Lord uh, Alexander. This, this, oh, you're the first person Lord I've Alexander. Heard him. Um, I mean, there's there's so many authors: Robert Heinlein, Andre Norton on the site you know, on the science fiction side, um, Arthur C. Clarke, um, Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, you mentioned earlier, mm. um, and oh, in fact, yes. I've written. I've written a couple of stories about um, Sherlock Holmes' cousin, um, one, of, one of which is on Tor.com, actually. Uh, so you can read it for free. The other one's in an anthology. Um, so cool. uh, lots of influences for different kinds of things. I love it. So we've, we've now talked about books. We've talked about games. So then the, the final question that I want to make sure to ask before we get to the tail end of our episode today is, are, are you inspired by films? Or yeah. te- television, like what are what are some of your favorite franchises or some of your favorite films that you've enjoyed in the last years? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very, I mean, I I love film and television. Uh, my college degree was actually in screenwriting. Uh, oh, I'm a cool. successful novelist. I'm a successful novelist and basically an unsuccessful screenwriter. Uh, even though <laughs> I, I've been paid to write, I've been paid to write things, but they've never been made. Um, favorite films. Uh, one of some of my two of my all-time favorite films, which deeply influenced my book *Angel Mage*, which is influenced by Dumas and *The Three Musketeers* of the books, but perhaps even more so by uh, the two Richard Lester-directed adaptations of *The Three Musketeers*, *The Three Musketeers* mm. and *The Four Musketeers*. Uh, I love westerns. Uh, *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*. I think is mm. is you know mm. just one of the best films ever. Um, so, uh, which I 
but these are all films I watch with some regularity. Uh, um, but 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 tons of stuff. I mean, The Princess Bride. Uh, I love the book. I love the film. The Star Wars, particularly the uh, you know the original Star Wars. Um, uh, and in terms of the sort of everything that's come, everything that's come from from Star Wars. Um, in recent times, I really liked Andor. Um, oh. Andor was really great television, um, and actually phenomenal. Several steps, several steps above the other Star Wars television for the most part. Um, so, uh, I mean, m- most genre of film and television, science fiction or, or fantasy, I'm always interested in it, even if I don't, even if I don't love it, um, and I always want to love it. I always hope that there'll be great adaptations. Uh, mm-hmm. And and sometimes uh, sometimes yeah they are up there, um, so yeah ton tons of fun. I mean Red Dwarf Doctor Who, though Doctor Who really kind of like my childhood Doctor Who, uh, so mm. John Pertwee and, and Tom Baker, mm-hmm. uh, but I still watch you know I still watch it um, off and on. I have a friend who's a very super a Doctor Who super fan who makes me watch it whenever I catch up with him. It's like we can watch one old story. Then we've got to watch a new story, and that's fair. I'm like, okay, let's go with that. <laughs> I love it. I like well, that. Well, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you, and you are definitely one of us. I, I mean, this totally. It, I, it, it, <laughs> I know we've we've done a lot of we've done a lot of lists. <laughs> yeah, I know we've done a lot of lists, and like, just like, okay, what's your favorite things? What's your favorite things? But just every word that comes out, I'm like, yes, yes, which just makes me even more excited to read more of these tales. I'm looking forward to picking up my copy of this next Sir Harrowwood compilation. So thank you so much. But before we let you go, there is a very important rite of passage that we must put you through. And so uh, I don't want to spoil too much ahead of time. Uh, Don't be too nervous, but maybe have an appropriate amount of fear. And with this, I have to pass you off to Mr. Josh Krebs. So thank you very much for all the time that you've given us. In this last moment, I would like to run what's called the lightning round. We do this for all of our important guests, especially the first time that they come on the show. And this is my first time having a chance, the honor to interview you. So welcome Mr. Nix to the lightning round. This is how it's going to work. I'm just going to ask you a few questions that, to be honest with you, they're just very, very softball questions. I just want the first answer that pops up to the top of your head. Sound good? Like a psychology exam. Great. What yes, can go wrong? The Rorschachian lightning round. Here we go. Tell me about your mother. No, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right. So here's the lightning round in three, two, one. What is your favorite color? Blue. What is your favorite comfort food? Tea. Oh, nice. Uh, are you a pet guy? Yes. Dogs, cats, birds, fish? Dogs, number one, but all the others as well. And uh, finally, what is your stance on the 1983 sci-fi fantasy film, Crawl? Uh, I watched it again about two years ago, so it is fresh in my mind. Um, and... It stood up actually better than I expected. Oh! So I think actually you could quote me, stood up better than I expected. Uh, my memories, because I saw it when it first came out. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was okay. It, I mean, I had higher hopes for it, but uh, mm. so did it, it the didn't makers. meet those. 
it didn't meet those hopes, but there are parts of it that came close. And then when I, I watched it again a few years, actually, I think it was last year, um, I remember thinking, this will be hokey as hell. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was. Uh, it just didn't live up to the expectations of when it first came out. So but it, it was good yeah. to see it again. But it 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 exceeded your expectations in terms of like <laughs> failing it, to camp. Man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it um, it had it had its it had its moments. There we go. There's another line. There we it go. had its moments. It had yeah. its moments. <laughs> I am so looking forward to seeing that on a shirt at our next showing. <laughs> Crawl. <laughs> it had its moments. Stood up yeah. better than expected. Yeah. <laughs> Damning with faint praise. It's my specialty. Nice. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening, Garth. It has been so wonderful speaking with you. Been great to talk to all of you. Take care. Yes. All right, folks. So if you haven't put this on your calendar, do so. Uh, Sir Harold will. Uh, and Mr. Pitts will be released on August 22nd. So go pick up your copy. In the U.S.? Uh, if you're a fan. Yes, in the U.S. If you are a fan of Garth's material, go pick out his pick up his other books if you already haven't but definitely pick this one up as it will be a fun series of stories that will definitely uh, be an enjoyable time for you to read so again thank you for being on the show and we'll catch you next time and dungeon crawlers whether you're near or on the opposite side of the world tell your story whatever may come and my nerdlings from all continents and countries, remember to let your geek flag fly. So say we all. And whether you imagine yourself as a flintlock fantasy knight or as a murderous puppet who has no intention of becoming a real boy, always remember to be epic. And don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you. Always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.